0: Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Street Ventures, where we talk to top experts and seasoned investors to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Hello,
1: everyone. Welcome back to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate podcast. My name is Peter Pomeroy, and I am your host. Today, we have Calvin Lowe with us. Calvin is a doctor specializing in pediatric emergency medicine at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. 2023 will mark his 30th year practicing medicine. Calvin also serves as the medical director of the Alan Perwin Emergency Transport Program at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Calvin and his wife, Peggy, have been married for 30 years and currently reside in La Habra, California. They have two adult children who are off making their impact in the world. Calvin's real estate experience started when he was a kid, where he assisted his parents managing their single-family home portfolio. Currently, Calvin and his wife own a duplex in Fullerton, California, and like me, they are also members of the Academy, which is Vertical Street Ventures' educational platform. I encourage listeners to check that out. It's a
2: terrific program. Calvin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. I'm looking forward to our talk, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. So you know, let's talk about what it's like to be a doctor. And not just a doctor, but a pediatric doctor in the emergency room context. Like, you know, if you want to talk about like a typical day, if there is a typical day, we can start there and kind of get into, you know, creating some color for our listeners.
2: Yeah, sure. I have a really fulfilling career in pediatric emergency medicine. One thing about my schedule, and my wife Peggy always, you know, gets me on this, is that my schedule is regularly irregular. So I'm all over the place. I work mornings, nights, overnights. To the point now where I've aged out doing graveyards, I don't do the overnights anymore. But it's a great job. You know, we're on the front lines of people, kids coming into the emergency department. We see all types of kids, trauma, kids who are in septic shock, new cancer patients, all that to the common cold, fevers. So it runs the whole gamut. And you know, with the current pandemic that's going on, it's been pretty busy, really, really busy. I worked last night, so... I hope I don't look that tired, but I, you know, try to have a good attitude with it. You know, I really enjoy what I do. And I think the one thing I like about pediatric emergency medicine is the team concept. Yes, I'm the doctor, but there's a lot of other people that are involved with the work and the success that we try to optimize the care and the survival of the patients that come through.
1: You mentioned that you worked last night, like just for my own benefit, do you work eight hours? Do you work 12 hours? What are the shifts like? In the emergency room and the demands on you?
2: Yeah, they're usually eight to nine hour shifts uh, when I work in the emergency department. So I just come on in, start seeing patients with my residents, nurse practitioners, the nurses and so forth. And it can be a grind. Some days you can't predict what's going to come through those doors. It could be just like all fevers. Some days it's seizure day. Some days it's asthma. And, you know, living in Southern California, we have beautiful weather, so it's always trauma (laughs) year round. So. It could just be a constant stream or you're on your, you know, running all the time. When I work my transport shifts, those are 24-hour shifts so that we are transporting patients from all over the world to Los Angeles by either a ground ambulance, helicopter, fixed wing. So we go and fly anywhere we have to because at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, we have a higher level of care because some places might not have the specialties or the resources to take care of some of these really complex patients.
1: Wow. So you mentioned like, you know, all the kind of the diversity of conditions that you treat. Do you think like emergency room doctor, like doc your fellow colleagues and the whole support staff, that there's a particular kind of personality type that thrives in that versus say as, you know, I'm gonna to try to make a you know a different comparison, somebody who's focused on one specific
2: type of care. Yeah, because you see anything that comes in all the different specialties. You'll have a diabetic comes in. Next, you have a patient who was involved in a traffic accident. Then someone who is in a diabetic ketoacidosis, somebody in septic shock. But the thing is, the personalities, yeah, they don't run the gamut. They're all different types of personalities. But the thing is, be quick, right? Snap, 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 snap. And that drives Peggy nuts, like we're, we're talking about things. Peggy's more methodical, which is good, but I'm like, okay, let's get it going. Snap, snap, snap. Because some of these things are life-threatening situations, and what my decisions are to make a difference.
1: Right. Your decision-making is very fast versus, you know, maybe I'm not saying this right, but, you know, incredibly deliberate and my kind of research, you know what to do. You take action because the, the patient needs that care
2: we do have treatment algorithms and protocols that we do follow sometimes you have to finesse it a little bit depending on the patient that comes in in the meantime i'm there trying to be as cool and calm cuz i'm the team leader right and that sort of sets the tone for the rest of the team that's there of course my heart's like <laughs> going like 120 130 you know beats or even higher but it just have that nice calm demeanor and just you know do things in a calm and smooth way so that everybody you know calms down because We get a trauma that comes in. There's like 30 people in the room and everything just all hyped up. And sometimes we have to say, you don't have to be here, leave. So things should just calm down and we can have communication that we can all hear each other. So all the orders, the medications, and all the other things are, are carried out appropriately.
1: So then, okay. And I'm going to try to draw some parallels in a moment between these kind of attributes and how doctors as investors might make decisions. That's why I'm kind of pulling this out. But I want to ask another question that we had talked about a little bit last week in terms of how the pandemic has changed your environment. And I wasn't entirely clear if it is the doctors or if it's the parents of the patients that you treat. So maybe you could just kind of touch on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a different environment. You know, from the medical side, you know, the pandemic has hit us as well. We've had a lot of doctors who have been out because that we're hitting that hard. For the the last couple of weeks, it it seemed like there was only a rotation of eight doctors in the emergency department. We saw each other every night. Hey, it's you again, because everybody else has been sick. On the patient side, it's, it's a little more difficult, a little more mentally challenged for me emotionally, because the parents... You know, we try to do our best to take care of them, but at times they're a little, they're more demanding, more arrogant, you know, they want this and that, and that goes against what we're usually practicing. So that's a challenge, you know, the parents, I want this test, this test, and this test, like, no, you, you know, you don't really need that. Honestly, I've been doing this for, you know, I don't want to play the on the big doctor. Listen to me, but, you know, we try to make a shared decision. Okay. We talk it through and say, well, these are the risks of a certain test. Your son does not need that CT scan. It's a lot of radiation. Let's just watch and see how he does. Don't go from there. And, you know, making those shared decisions really help out. It's really a must that when we do the, uh, the practice of medicine these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, you know, because you're dealing with parents and their children. You know, your people skills, you know, not only with the team, but also with the parents have to be, you know, kind of top notch because you're treating not only the kid, but you're kind of treating the parent and guiding the parent through the decision making process without, you know, as you said, being on the doctor with 30 years experience, which you are,
2: you know, but you need them kind of to come along. Yeah, sometimes more than half the battle is is talking to the parents, making sure they understand that we're doing the best for their child. And sometimes they get influenced by other People, relatives, you know, it's almost grandma said this, right? Dr. Google. Right, exactly. Dr. Google is a good guy, but in the right hands, you know, it works, but sometimes it's detrimental at times.
1: All right. So let's talk a little bit about doctors as an avatar in the context of investing. And I think it was our most recent podcast with Rich Fetke. He shared with me this acronym called Henry's that some other person I believe coined, which are high earners, not rich yet. And, you know, that applies to a lot of people who, you know, have high income, but don't necessarily have the kind of backup streams of income that may serve as a, you know, insurance policy or even, you know, when in the context of being rich, you know, lifestyle benefits that are more full and complete in picture. Does that
2: apply to doctors that Henry concept, higher are not yet rich? Oh, absolutely. Because I know a lot of people say, oh, Cal, you're a doctor, you must be rich, and living the life. Well, I might make a, you think is a comfortable salary, but I get taxed a lot. So, you know, back in the day, you know, I had a big house and, you know, just trying to keep it up, trying people say, oh, don't live beyond your means and so forth. So what would happen, I would take on more jobs, work more shifts, which means I would make more money, but means I get taxed more. So I think that's where the not rich part happens. So you know, looking into passive income streams as a result of that, because working as a doctor, you know, I paid the price. I've worked many, many long hours, missed a lot of kids, things like my son's baseball games, daughters, you know, piano recitals and so forth. And now I'm looking at that as I'm on my back side of my career, just looking to see what is out there and what are the things that can augment my generational wealth, so to speak.
1: Right. So doctors, if you like, you know, kind of broad sweeping statements, what are their like kind of their biggest challenges as it might relate, you know, personally, professionally,
2: health-wise? Yeah, you know, it's pretty grueling, at least for an emergency medicine physician, because you are, like I said, the schedule is regularly irregular. So we have nurses who are strictly nocturnal. So they only work night shifts So they're used to that, the sleep cycle and so forth. When I was doing overnights, I was doing like a day shift, an evening shift, going to an overnight, then two days later, go back to a regular shift, And that time of recovery, you know not getting enough sleep, enough rest for that, it would just wreak havoc with me. I remember I did my last overnight shift uh, about a year ago. It took me two days to recover. I used to like stay up through the day and then do a regular you know go right back to sleep. But I can't do that anymore because it's just you know father time and it's just not as I used to be. So now even I do the morning shifts, I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to get to work at six. I'm dealing with Southern California traffic, right? I get home, it's like four o'clock. It's already a twelve-hour day, and I'm on the couch sleeping and until Peggy says, "Hey, it's dinner time." And have to go back again the next morning, and I'm already like sometimes it's worse than an overnight. So you know, even though I don't do the overnights anymore, it's still you know, it's a little a lot of stress you know, on the body and mind, you know, I look at the younger doctors now, and they're going through that right now. And, you know, they're trying to make the schedule more palatable, but it's just still like the rocky nature of our schedules that puts on the undue stress. But that's just part of the
1: problem. Right. It's part of the job. And it creates, you know, know, I get that it creates challenges that might extend beyond the job. And so now, you know, thinking about how we were talking about, like, you know, the ER doctor being fast to make decisions, you know, out of necessity, and they're trained to do that. So it's not like a reckless, like, decision-making at all. They're trained to do that. And then they work these, you know, long demanding hours. How do you think doctors go about like making investment decisions? And here's like, just I'm going to make a generalization as an example. We hear often that, oh, engineers approach an investment decision in a very analytical way. What's the kind of story for how doctors approach investment decisions?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. As you know, there are different types of personalities in any industry, I would imagine myself looking at myself as, okay, it's gotta be quick. Let's just do it and not really do the research. I know a lot of my colleagues are into the stock market, whether they have time to do the research and so forth. I don't know. I dabbled that, you know, years ago and it was just to drive me nuts because it would just like take over a life of its own. What is the stock doing? And I'm, I'm supposed to be at work and it just like would drive me nuts. So it probably runs the gamut, but you know, now I'm, I'm into multifamily apartment investing a little more you know, research that's involved. I mean, as you said, I'm part of the academy, so learning a lot of new stuff. So it's a little bit different. As imagine as an ER doc, you want things done quickly and you want those fast rewards. And with multifamily, it's a little more on a timeline so that it slows things down, which I think is good as well.
1: So I would imagine you know, if I got a group of doctors together, 10 of them, let's just say, and let's just say they're ER doctors or any doctor and I was presenting why I was able to get their time, which might be 15 minutes to 30 minutes. I'm assuming not more than 30 minutes. And I shared with them kind of the benefits, et cetera, of real estate investing that I would be the one constrained by time because I might need more time to build my credibility and explain, you know, the real estate. Whereas, you know, you as an ER, you know, doctor, practicing doctor, you could kind of skip a lot of those steps because you would have that credibility and you would be able to speak their language in that same tempo, you know, that they're going to get and understand. Like,
2: yeah. I think that's a valid point there because some of my colleagues I've known for 30 years and a lot of this is trust and they see that. So the relationships that you developed. I think it's the key thing, not only because, you know, we all do networking and real estate and so forth. I've done that all, you know, 30 years of, of my career at the hospital and just reaching out to my colleagues, you know, makes it, Easier to understand. At the very beginning, I have to say it was a little bit different when I first started Your It's a totally a different way of income or income stream. But I've let them, you know, think about it. They come back to me, hey, I want to listen to about it more. And I'll talk to them based on what their stories are. Like one of the things I know we talked about, I looked at the young female attendings that are just starting, new families and so forth. You know, I have to say, and I'll admit to this, that the females are the stronger gender, okay, knowing my mom and my wife, right? So these young female attendings, they're not only a career as a physician, but their mothers, their wives, they have to take care of families and so forth. So the struggle I see sometimes with my colleagues that, oh, can you make this switch with me because I don't have daycare or I have to call and stick because my child is ill, and I don't have. I didn't to take to the doctor or whatnot. And I see that it can be a burden, right? Because they want to do well in their career, but it just all that's the time and family constraints that it puts a lot of stress on them.
1: Yeah, they are the stronger gender, and for many reasons, I think. And one being that you know many have the capacity to manage what you've just described, and it's hard. I mean, I know my wife. You know, she works full time. You know, in an executive level job, and you know, we have a child, and there's a house, and dogs, and this, and you know, I try to be contributory, but like, you know, it's tough. It's very tough. So let's shift over to Peace Equity, LLC, the name of your company. It's one of the more intentional names out there. Share with us where peace is coming from.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So peace, the acronym for peace are the first letters of my family's name. So there's Peggy, Elizabeth, Austin, Calvin, and equity. So our motto, our philosophy is family, peace of mind, generational wealth. So Something that, uh, you know, my mother is real, and, and Peggy as well, just say, you know, family is a big thing, you know, because you can have all the friends in the world, but you always have your family that's going be, to be supportive. And I think that was the way to go. And we really, truly back the meaning of the company.
1: So Peggy is on the path to becoming a real estate professional. Share with us, you know, why that's important to, you know, your family business and what it'll do for you. Just, you know, high level.
2: Yeah, yeah. So as a real estate professional, it just means that you are involved with a lot of different aspects of real estate with education, research, you need to accrue uh, 750 hours. Again, for the listeners, you don't have to be a licensed realtor or real estate agent or anything like that. So if that happens is that the bonuses with that with through passive income, your income becomes active with bonus appreciation, it has excellent tax incentives. So in the end, As my salary as a physician, the income taxes can be waived off because of the losses of the active losses of the property that we would own. Part of the, going back to the criteria for a real estate professional is that 500 of those 750 hours have to be materialistic hours where you're actually doing hands-on on on the property. So we do have the duplex in Fullerton, which is like five or 10 minutes away from our house. So it's going to be hard to accrue 500 hours. Like, oh, you want to just drive down to Fullerton like hundred times in a day or something like Walk. You got like, to walk. That. Right. You got to walk. Or, but now we did a capital raise for one of the properties that just closed with Berkeley Street Ventures. So we've become general partners and that has actually accelerated us to become a more of a real estate professional for Peggy. And our mentor, Steve Louie from Berkeley Street Ventures says, you just got to get into it because if you keep waiting, you know, you're know, just going to keep waiting. So he just actually thrusts us into the forefront to do some capital raising. So it was a great experience. We were able to get a Few investors and the property closed a couple of days ago.
1: Yeah, congratulations! So, just to like do real simple math on like a hypothetical example of a real estate professional. Let's say you, you know, you and your wife. I mean, this is you know for the listeners. You invest a hundred thousand dollars into you know a property. It so happens that that property has a hundred percent bonus depreciation year one. And now in the next year, that's going to go, I believe the 80% is going to scale down. Let's say you end up with $100,000 of depreciation. Peggy, as the real estate professional, is able to offset Calvin's W-2 income by $100,000. And those are taxes that you're not paying today. It's deferring it out into the future. But... You know, and at the end of that investment, you know, then there's like kind of a a tax calculation, which you should go, you know, listeners should go over with their CPA to understand what their potential new liability is on the tax, but it's less. And then, of course, if you're able to reinvest, say in this example, the $100,000 into a new project, you continue to defer your taxes. And what many people do and people who have accumulated massive wealth is they just, you know, continuously defer those taxes into, you know, forever, basically.
2: Right, that's the key thing where I'm looking forward to for this tax year. You know, the, one of the key things also to log in all your activities because, you know, if you get a chance to get audited by the IRS, you have everything you know documented. So that's what we're doing. That's the challenge now. Like every time, like we go somewhere, take a picture, we put it on the Google spreadsheet of the sheets and so forth. And you're you know, a key thing is also have a real estate tax expert CPA. Who knows uh, because I had a regular CPA and you know he had no clue what I was talking about. So I enlisted a new CPA who's an expert and and in- right a, in- a specialist.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like really why you
2: don't. Uh, we- yeah. Go right. ahead. I wanna I wanna shout out to Kiyoshi Simon, he's the SV CPA and phenomenal individual, you know, does great stuff. You know, he explain, you know, this is all new stuff for me. You know, learning curve is Steve for Peggy and I. And he sat down and he said, you know, here's how it goes. And we understood it. And he's a great accountant, you know, phenomenal individuals. So,
1: yeah. And just for our listeners, so they know uh, Vertical Street Ventures has a CPA service. Kyoshi is the person who runs it. So it's available for, you know, the public and you can connect with him on Vertical Street Ventures website and then have a meeting with him to see if him and his team would be a good fit for you. But kind of like, you know, if your child is sick, you see a pediatric specialist like Dr. Lowe. You don't go and see, you know, no that you don't go see a chiropractor and you know, vice versa. So there's a lot of value and dollars that you can potentially save by you know having a focused person help you. So we're gonna move to our final couple questions. So in 2030, your medical board certification comes up. Symbolically,
2: what does 2030 mean for you? Well, that hopefully to be the end of my medical career. <laughs> but it may <laughs> happen before 2030. Oh, that's okay, i right, right. That's the key. So the plan is possibly retire in three years. That is the goal, you know, so that I could not, well, you know what, I don't think I can cut cold turkey, what I would probably do. I work like 14 shifts, uh, interspersed with, you know, meetings and research and so forth, but I could come back because I could work once a week, you know, work when I want to work because I developed those relationships at the hospital. I really enjoy what I do, but, you know, I can't just keep, you know, driving in hour, hour and a half each way and coming back. So that's the goal, you know, with this venture through Berk Street Ventures and our peace equity company that in three years, I can really cut back and just enjoy life as it is.
1: Yeah. My takeaway when we had talked about, you know, 2030 and, you know, your boards, you know, having to redo them is, you know, whether it's 2030 or in three years, for me, my takeaway is, is it represents kind of more freedom in your life to, yeah, practice medicine, but m- maybe more on your terms. You know, do triathlons, go for it, you know, and, you know, all sorts of things. But I thought the takeaway is that freedom piece. So, question number two you are an accomplished Elvis impersonator. And when I say accomplished, I want our listeners to understand that if you left medicine today, you could make a living impersonating Elvis. I think we're at that level. Just briefly share how this came to be and, and what it means for you.
2: <laughs> well, first, we're called Elvis tribute artists. Don't trigger me, Peter. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, that's, that's a running joke with my friends. Don't call him an Elvis impersonator. But no, this is something I do on the side, you know, a side when so you might want say, but this happened three years ago. I was an intern at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. And one of my senior residents said, hey, you know, we're getting together and sing some karaoke. I'm like, well, what's that? Right. Well, we we'll go to a bar and they play the background music and you sing. I said, Okay. And why don't you bring your girlfriend? Peggy was my girlfriend as well back then. So we go to this uh, karaoke bar in Koreatown, and everyone's you know singing. Some people are drunk. They're terrible. And, hey, Calvin, go up there, sing something. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. The only the only song I probably could carry a tune is Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear by Elvis. So I go up there, and as Elvis would say, you know, the music got on me, and then I started doing the wiggling. And when i sang the last lyric i just want to be your teddy bear and then the place goes nuts i'm like okay fine i'm thinking what have i done and peggy's thinking what did he just do <laughs> so the word got back to the hospital at cedars-sinai one of the lead neonatal intensive care unit nurses who is filipino and the filipinos love elvis and they say hey we want you to sing at our christmas party i'm like i've never sang in public before should i rent a costume so my two first two shows were at the Beverly Hills, Wilshire and the Beverly Hills hotel. And, um, and Peggy said it was probably the beginning of the end for her. <laughs> so the first show, just a side note, I introduced her as Dr. Lowe's fiance. I'm seeing can't help falling in love with you. I'm sweating. And she's standing up there awkward. And that night we were driving home and she says, I don't know where this is going to go, but if you want to continue to do it, don't ever invite me on stage ever again. And I haven't. So
1: And you've been married 30 years. So congratulations yeah, right? on that, right?
2: It's a lot. <laughs> so, it's been good. I do a lot of friends, Christmas parties, weddings. I've done a couple of funeral services using Elvis Gospels. So it's, you know, it was a release for me. So it just, you know, everyone has their release, whether it's training for triathlons, I'm singing Elvis, you know, the kids are still rolling their eyes. And Peggy's like, okay, when is this going to end? But hey, she knows it makes me happy and oh, it's all good.
1: <laughs> Calvin Lowe, thank you for coming on the show. If listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Oh, they can email me at cal at peaceequity.com. And let me spell that for you. It's C-A-L at dot ycom Excellent.
1: And for those listeners who would like to connect with me or would like to be on the show, feel free to shoot me an email at peter at northlightgrowth.com or on LinkedIn at Peter Pomeroy. Thank you all for listening. And I wish you a great week.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to verticalstreetventures.com. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with our team on the website. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.